Welcome to the C3 Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. Now, uh, we are at the end of our RPMS series. Have you guys enjoyed this series so far? Can you remember what the things stand for? What's R? What's P? What's M? What's S? That's right. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Pastor Steve to the stage to continue this series. Let's welcome Steve. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, welcome to Colchester, Bury St. Edmunds, and of course, online and prisons. We love you. We appreciate you. Your success is our honor. And we're glad to be together in this. As Sarah so beautifully said, we're continuing this series. We're finishing it today on the issue of spirituality. We've had Katie Campbell, Elspeth Darley, Rachel Morstan. I kicked the series off. Remember, I spoke on sleep on that occasion. Hope you've all been sleeping well. You're allowed to sleep except when I'm preaching. All right. And then today I'm looking at spirituality. So I have one simple question for you. How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing? How are you doing spiritually? Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a bit of an insult, what you're all expecting me to speak about. You're expecting me now to speak about prayer, because it's really important, and solitude, and Bible reading, and fellowship, attendance of church, maybe fasting, because these are all the spiritual things, right? Be careful how you answer this. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I have a problem. Well, I have more than one problem, but I'm going to share one with you today. I have a problem with how we define spirituality or spiritual. Honestly, the idea that some things are spiritual or sacred and other things are physical or secular is the word we often use has done an awful lot of harm to the church. Secular, by way of definition, according to the dictionary, is this, not connected with religious or spiritual matters. And we buy into this artificial divide of that which is spiritual and that which is secular. And what that has done has meant we put God in one part of our life, but not in another part of our life. What that has resulted in is some of the accusations that come towards the church is, oh, you're hypocrites. Because we have our God slots, the spiritual bits, and then we have the other part of our life, and it's not spiritual, and we act differently. And because of that, because we have this sacred and secular divide, it silenced us in some areas. It's meant that where we should be speaking up, because we are the salt and light of the world, it's meant we've been dumb and quiet because we don't speak about spiritual things here. And that's often silenced us. Certainly, it's segmented us so that we divide our lives into these artificial 
areas. There's a, a vision, an organization called Vision Christian Media, and one of the guys wrote this on there. I'm going to read it to you. He said, many Christians divide everything into these two spheres that never intersect. One sacred related to God's business, worship, prayer meetings, social action, world missions, etc., and the other, secular, everything else. They write, bluntly, we think that God is in charge of the sacred and we are in charge of the secular. These two halves are kept separate. This sacred-secular divide is a pervasive belief that some things are important to God and others aren't. Certain vocations are holy. Pastor missionary, while others like medicine, psychology, engineering, or mechanics, I'm still quoting, are secular vocations and cannot be integrated into spiritual context and mission work. They write, the assumption is utterly false. As children of God, every aspect of our lives matter to him. Mike Beer, author of Breaking Down the Sacred Secular Divide, says this, the divide is a false dichotomy, a false worldview, an infection of the minds of Jesus' followers that has done incalculable damage to the cause of Christ. Now, don't hear me as saying this. Of course, it's really, well, hear me as saying this. It's really important that we gather together for worship. It's really important that we read our Bibles and pray. Absolutely essential. But don't, for one minute, then downgrade other things that you do, such as cleaning the house, or teaching a class, or counseling someone, or serving in a restaurant, or fixing a car, or writing a piece of software, etc., etc., etc. Don't downgrade those as though they are not spiritual. God deserves glory and honor and his presence in every moment of our lives. Let me read two verses to you so we root this in the Scriptures. This is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So, whether you eat or drink, so that's your everyday life. Whatever you do, do it all. Everyone say all. Online, Colchester, come on, Barry, all. All. For the glory of God. Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily. That's a good word, isn't it? I use that word every day. We get up and say, let's have breakfast together heartily. Whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In this book that I've got, I know I always recommend books. We were talking about this a few weeks ago at uh, Roger Butler's uh, celebration of life service. He used to buy the books I recommended, so you can borrow them from Judy if you want. But this is another one I'd like to recommend to you. It's called Garden City. It's by John Mark Homer. I do not agree with everything John Mark Homer ever says. I don't agree with anyone except me. I'm not all sure that I agree with me, to be honest, but most of the time I do. Uh, he's a pacifist. I'm not sure I'm a pacifist, so you, you read things like that that you think, oh, is that, is that right? But in regards to spirituality, in this book particularly, which is better than some of his other books, Garden City, uh, you, you'd enjoy it. 
And he, he says there, he says this, if we follow the sacred secular worldview, then most of life is secular. The sacred secular stuff, he says, is a dinky slice of the pie. Going to church, praying, reading the scriptures, evangelism, etc. That's about 5% of our lives. And that's if you're really spiritual. And if that's the definition, then most of you aren't. Worse, the other 95%, he says, is we have a sense of guilt or shame. The other 95%, he writes, is shopping or walking the dog. Oh, maybe I wrote this. Or filling the car with petrol or charging it up or changing nappies or going to the gym or cooking and eating. Somehow we put that in this other box. The stuff of everyday life is secular and less than. And I know, and I'm sorry. You know I've been a pastor for a long time. I'm sorry if in my early days I overemphasized those things, though I still, some of you are way too casual around prayer and Bible reading and attendance at church, way too casual. So don't let me, I'm not trying to get anyone off the hook here of, of kind of, you know, low commitment to, to Jesus in those areas. Come on, improve, get better. But that's not my point. I, in my early days, I too emphasized that as though that was the spiritual bit of life and the, that's what really mattered. That's what God's really interested in, isn't he? For your job, your marriage, your sex life. We don't talk about those things, do we? Yeah, we do. Because God's interested. And when it comes to sex life, you don't like to think God's interested, but he is. We're not going to go there anyway. That's not my message today. And so some of us, when we're doing those other things, we get to feel shame or, or, or guilt in some way. Because I, I, I enjoyed that. I've moved on from sex, by the way, now. I'm, not, I'm talking about my job. I, I, oh, no, no, I could be talking about sex. Don't get me wrong. Anyway, uh, it's about your job. It's about your everyday living. It's about life. I, in, I enjoyed teaching that child. I felt a sense of, oh, no, it couldn't have been God's favor, could it? Because he's interested in me going to church, not me teaching a class of kids. I enjoyed writing that piece of software. Am I allowed to? Do, did I feel his pleasure? I love what Eric Liddell used to say, you know, about running. When he ran, he felt his pleasure. Like I was born to run. This is what I was meant to do. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shame. Enjoy. Because it's part of who we are as spiritual beings. Now, what John Mark Homer points out here, and he's copied this from someone else, another person that I definitely don't agree with all he says, but he got it from a guy called Rob Bell, who did a little bit of a tour that was called Everything is Spiritual. And what Rob Bell pointed out, and John Mark Homer points out in the books here, book here, is that in the Old Testament, so in the Old Testament is two-thirds of the Bible that we have. We are connected to it. It's important. It's one big story. It's not a new story from Jesus. It all fits together. So we need it all. 
Well, what he points out is that in the Old Testament, listen to this, there was no word for spiritual. You can look through the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew, a little bit in Aramaic. You can't find the word spiritual. Again, I'm going to quote extensively from this guy. He says, if you look in the book of Leviticus, for example, um, you find some interesting stuff. This is what he says. Have you ever read that crazy book, Leviticus? You really should. It's in a part of the Old Testament called the Torah, Hebrew word for meaning teaching of law. And these are the laws, I mean teachings, about every facet of life. Laws about how to purify yourself for the temple, how to make a sacrifice, spiritual stuff, you know. How to wash your hands before you make a sacrifice. What kind of animal to sacrifice if you have money. And what kind of animal to sacrifice if you're poor. Laws about atonement and worship and justice and mercy. And there are laws about skin diseases. That nasty red itchy spot on your left foot. How did he know? And what kind of material to make your clothes with. And what to do if there's mold in your kitchen. Does anyone have mold in their kitchen? And a woman's time of the month and wet dreams. And what to do if your donkey falls into a ditch on the Sabbath and government, and economics, and social justice, and just about everything you can think of. Why? Why would God put all that hundreds and hundreds of laws in the Bible? After all, isn't the Bible supposed to be sacred? It's like it matters. And it did. And all of your life matters. Now, that was contextual. We have to look at the context. We're applied to them in that. We know Jesus has come and changed everything. But what God was pointing out is all of your life matters. In other words, it's all spiritual. If you were to go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, how's your spiritual life? He'd look at you oddly and say, uh, do you mean life? Because it was all spiritual. Is God interested in all those areas? Yes, it does. It matters to God. Everything, here's my point, ready? Everything is spiritual for the follower of Jesus Christ. Everything is spiritual for the follower of Jesus Christ. All for the glory of God. Now, the word spiritual is used in the New Testament. It's the word pneumatikos. And it's introduced to us by the Apostle Paul. And he uses it quite spurringly. And he uses it in a particular context, which is where I want to go for our last few minutes together. Most people think of spiritual as kind of esoteric or immaterial or otherworldly or outer body or this kind of deep stuff, deep experiences with God. But the way Paul uses it, when he says the word pneumatikos, it means this animated by the Spirit of God. It's the same word, by the way, that we get the word pneumatic from. Anyone got a pneumatic drill or a compressor at home? Or when you go to the garage and you hear them putting those two on the, the wheels, that's a pneumatic drill. Some of you don't look interested by that. But it is. it means wind or spirit. And there's a power in us Something driving us every day to do stuff while we're here on earth that's derived from the spiritual. So what the Apostle Paul did is he just put two, two categories. It's really simple. There's the spiritual or there's the unspiritual. This is what he writes. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no eye has heard. So let's just stop there for a moment. He's saying, you can't understand this stuff simply with your eyes. You can't understand this stuff simply by listening. It's not just by what we, what we sense with our senses. He says, what no human mind has conceived. So the mind is part of our soul area. So you can't grasp all of this stuff about God and about life simply by what you see, what you hear, what you know in your mind. Your mind's good, but it's inadequate. So no, no eyes seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These things of God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining pneumaticos, spiritual realities, with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This is so simple, but so profound. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. All things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is what I think Paul's saying and I'm saying to you today. To live a full, flourishing life, which is what we're called to have, life and life in all its fullness, then we have to have the Spirit of God within us. If we're to live spiritually aware, because there's only the unspiritual who don't understand stuff, they're trying. They know there's something out there they can sense it in some way, but they're trying to conceive it with the eyes and the ears and the mind. And they go, well, don't, there's something more, but I can't quite get what it is. Yeah, you're right. There is something more. You need the Spirit of God to live a spiritually fulfilled life. That's the only way you'll make sense of this life because you are a spirit being. So three things I'm going to say to you in the last seven minutes as I finish. If you're to be a spiritual person and live a spiritual filled life, number one, you must be born again. Or let's use the term Jesus used. You must be born of the Spirit. Please, don't think born again is some term that Billy Graham, in case you've never heard of him, a major evangelist introduced in the 1950s. It's in the Bible. Jesus said that. To Nicodemus, a man that came to him by night, he said this to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born again? Truly, truly, Jesus said to him, until someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is saying. To be born of water is to be born naturally. We use the term, don't we? The waters break. We do use that term, don't we? Because some of you look like disagreeing with me. Just look at that. If you don't agree with anything else I've said, I think that's true. The waters break. I've been there when my, when my wife was, waters broke. We'll go into any more detail. But 
it's talking about being born naturally. This is the good news. You can only be born again if you've been born, born naturally. But you can be born again. You don't enter your mother's womb a second time. <laughs> You're born of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. You must be being born again and born of the Spirit. You can't become a Christian unless the Holy Spirit does a supernatural work within you and quickens your spirit to be alive in Christ. You see, whether you know this or not, and I've got to go quick, you are a tripartite being. You're very like God. There's three bits to you. You are body, soul, and spirit. And every part of you will be saved. Your spirit is the inner man, inner person. Your soul is your intellect, your mind, your personality. Your soul is the area by which you desire, discern, and decide. And then there's your body, which is the tent, the vehicle that we have that houses that soul, and within this resides our spirit. All three get saved. All three are really important. Your body's important. We are going to have a resurrection body. We're not going to be some ethereal beings that will float around in space. We'll have a physical body. We said it a few weeks ago, this is so important. There is a man in heaven called Jesus that's seated at the right hand of the Father. And because there's a man that's paved the way, then your body will be saved as well as your spirit that's already saved and your soul that's being saved. That's the process of sanctification. You ready for some good theology? Sanctification. So that's all part of us. The whole being. But unless you're born of the Spirit, then you can't understand the things of the Spirit. You can't truly be a spirit. Whatever anyone else tells you about them being spiritual, they're on the edge of real spirituality because real spirituality is found by definition in the Spirit and you must be born again. Number one, be born again. Are you born again? Has the Holy Spirit quickened you? Number two, not only should you be born again, and I believe this is part of the being born again initiation, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is a, we, we, in this church, that we believe that is a subsequent, separate experience to being born again when I say subsequent, it can happen seconds, nanosecond after being born again. Or it can happen like it did in the Bible so often, many months or weeks later. There are four incidences I can't go through them all. They're in your version notes and will come up on the screen here where you see that in the book of Acts, different ones are baptized in the Holy Spirit on different occasions. The disciples on the day of Pentecost. The converts in Samaria, the Apostle Paul, and my favorite one is the Ephesian converts, that when Paul comes to them, he says to them, he says, first of all, in the passage, if you read it, Acts 19, it says they are disciples. And he said, well, who do you believe in? They said, well, we believe in Jesus. But they said, well, how are you baptized? Well, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Jesus says to them, well, that, that's, that's a baptism of repentance. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So they are bad. So remember, it says they're disciples, they're believers. So they, they're already there, but they just haven't got the full revelation yet. And Jesus says to them, uh, Paul says to them, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They get baptized as they come out of the water. 
the Apostle Paul lays hands on them and it says they're filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So do we believe that if you're a believer, you must speak in other tongues? We believe you can. Because we believe this in the New Testament, there was nobody that had been baptized in the Holy Spirit that didn't know it. They just knew. There were signs that went with it. They knew, I'm baptized in the Spirit. No one went around. I wonder if I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one of the major scenes, in fact, the signs, one of the, the one that's mentioned the most is speaking in tongues. Does that mean we should all speak in tongues? We don't teach that. But we do say that in the New Testament, the sign that was most often accompanied with being baptized in the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. Do you speak in tongues? Are you baptized? Don't worry so much about the speaking in tongues because that could be, a, and it has been in Pentecostal circles, a little bit of a, a, a distraction from what it's really about. What it's really about is being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you that question. Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I don't know. Then pursue him until you know. Because no one in the New Testament didn't know they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So my two questions, are you born again? Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? That way you'll live a spiritual filled life. Third question, third uh, comment is this. You say, yeah, I'm born again in the Spirit. Yeah, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news today again. Then be filled again. Because the whole pattern of the New Testament is not just that they had a one-off infilling, but time and time again, they were filled with the Spirit. Usually when there was a particular task in front of them and they needed a special anointing of the Spirit to help them. Maybe being baptized in the Holy Spirit could help you write that piece of software you've been struggling with for a while. Maybe, because he understands it, by the way. Maybe the Holy Spirit can help you in that job situation where you are right now where you're not knowing how to, how to handle that fellow worker or maybe being filled with the Holy Spirit can help you with a wisdom from God because he's interested in all of life or maybe he can help you with your prayer life and maybe he can help you with your commitment to church because you play too fast and loose with it and maybe he can help transform your mind to think differently about every situation that you're in because he's with you at all times be filled Ephesians 5 verse 18 says this, and hear it. I'm going, to, I'm going to mention this as well in my minus time. Don't get drunk with wine. Being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit are in opposition. So it says don't get drunk with wine. I hate seeing some people joking about getting drunk and how drunk they'll come back from the office party then you're not filled with the Spirit because the Spirit and drunkenness can't let, sit together. Awkward silence in the room. Be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine, which leads to rebellion. If you're drunk with wine, you'll do something stupid. And I'm not here talking against alcohol per se. I'm just saying drunkenness. Don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion or debauchery as the old... One says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. It goes on to say what a sign of that being speaking to, being filled with the Spirit might be. 
speaking to yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual. In other words, you'll overflow with praise when you're filled with the Spirit. It's one of the signs. We don't just sing songs when we gather. We worship Jesus. And you can't fully worship Jesus without the help of the Spirit because that's what He came to do is glorify Jesus. So are you filled with the Spirit? Oh, I've got more in here. But I'm going and I'm finished. Some of you think that to be spiritual, you have to work for the church. You do not. Some of you are more spiritual than those of us that work for the church. I'm sorry, but it's true. Some of you think, well, I'm a teacher. Maybe I should teach in a Christian school. There's no such thing as a Christian school. There's a school that has Christians that are there. Some of you think, well, I have a Christian plumbing business. Your business can't be a Christian plumbing business because those pipes aren't Christians. And those tiles that you put on, they're not Christians. Last time I heard. And that toilet you install, it's not a Christian. You don't have to say, you must be born again. And it looks like you all flushed. That was spontaneous, that one. Thank you very much. You say, pipe down. So you, you can't have a Christian plumbing business. But you can have a Christian who runs a business. And the Holy Spirit can help him or her in whatever they do. So I'm finishing. Are you born again? Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit? What we're going to do is we're going to sing a song that we've been singing for a few weeks now. It's a beautiful song. It's called The Duff. You do have to understand some of the Bible to get all the metaphors and allusions that are in there to all that happens. It's, it's, it's complex, but it's beautiful as well. And we're going to sing it together. At the end of that, I'm going to come back up and just pray, and then we're going to have this prayer team here. And if you need to be filled with the Spirit, or baptized in the Spirit for the first time, they're going to pray for you for that. Before we go there and sing that song, I want to ask, is there anyone here who's never been born again? Or anyone online or in Colchester or in Bury, you've never been born again. You've never had the Spirit do that miraculous work, open heart surgery, where He gives you a new heart and a new mind because you can have the mind of Christ by being born again. And I'm going to pray a prayer that's a devotion to Him. You can all pray. We're all going to pray it out loud, wherever you are. And at the end, I'm going to ask if you prayed that prayer for the first time or as a recommitment to Jesus because some of us need to recommit, then I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and say, yeah, and we'll give you a gift of a Bible as we finish. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, pray this out loud with me. Say this. Ready? You, some of you, you're going to be born again in this moment. Say this. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive now. I believe you died for me. I don't understand it all, but I want to put my trust in you. Forgive me for my past. Give me a new start. I want to be born again. 
In your name I pray. Amen. Anyone here in the room saying, yeah, I, I prayed that prayer first time of recommitment today. Just raise your hand where you are saying, yeah, I must be born again. Anybody just looking around the room, raise your hand high in Jesus' name. If you're raising it, I'm going to just pause one more moment. Eternity shaping decision, anybody? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the C3 podcast. If this message has spoken to you today in some way, we would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at the C3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to the C3.uk forward slash giving and as always subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend we hope to see you soon